We all misbehave sometimes Wanna change the world Indulge in some bad behaviour Welcome to the relaunch of Bad Behaviour I'm Nicola And I'm Rosalind So excited to be back recording And I want to know how you've been bad, Rosalind I've missed this question. Okay, so recently I've really been thinking about my sex education in childhood. My mum gave me a book, Girl Stuff by Kaz Cook, and it was a really great book, but I never actually had a conversation one-on-one with my mother about what sex was, what consent was, and the rest of it was, you know, high school sex ed taught by the health teacher. I mean, they had this little box where they were like, if you have a question that you're uncomfortable asking in front of the class, just put it in the little box but people just put joke questions in so no one actually used it properly it was always like your mom like it wasn't an open sort of space where you could ask things like that recently I've been thinking about the fact that I never had a conversation with an adult about consent until well after I was sexually active and there have been experiences in my life I think where that would have benefited me because I didn't realize that consent is an ongoing process rather than a yes or no once Absolutely. I think that's super important to note. Asking people about how, when, why they got the sex talk is one of my favourite questions. I personally got given the sex talk by two of our family friends, a beautiful lesbian couple. I asked some question resembling how children were made when I was on a sleepover at their house and next minute I was nestled between them on a porch swing and they told me everything I ever needed to know. I think my experience was quite open and honest, especially to get a queer perspective in that all was quite rare. To talk about the queer angle. The queer angle. The queer elephant in the room. (laughs) No, but I didn't get any information about queer sexuality, queer sex until I looked for it. I grew up going to a Catholic school and also, you know, the book I got, the section on lesbian sex was a quarter of a page. Basically, the information was that lesbians exist. There was no, like, clear information. And at the time, it wasn't important because I wasn't really interested in my sexuality yet. But later on, I remember going back to that page and thinking, if this is only giving me a quarter of a page, does that mean it's really rare? Implicitly in that, there is the understanding that you're not gay. It's kind of like, here's a little interesting tidbit on the side. Growing up, there was this understanding that if you're bi, you're on your way to being gay. It's a phase. And also, bi people didn't exist. One of my first crushes that I remember in my life was on a girl but no one was talking about it at school and this was still very young so there was no sense of like shame in it it was just like oh I'm not going to talk about it no one else is so we'll just talk about all my boy crushes later on I developed the idea of shame (laughs) catholic guilt came down on me being open about queerness and queer sex when giving children the sex talk is key the thing is also we call it the sex talk And it shouldn't be called the sex talk because it should be an evolving discussion that we can have throughout our life. And calling it the sex talk makes it seem like the impetus on parents or educators is to do it once and then we'll understand and that's it. We never have to have this embarrassing discussion again, which is not true because as you get older, new things will come up, new information and new confusion. It's so much pressure for a parent to have that weight on their shoulders of potentially saying something that could eternally traumatise a child. Like, you don't know what a child is going to cling on to when you're talking about sex. I have a beautiful goddaughter, and when she asks me questions sometimes, I get so afraid that I'm going to say something that's not age-appropriate. 
Well, this is the thing though. Is it better to give them less information or more? I think if you give them a lot of information and they're not ready to sort of assimilate it and truly understand it, is that bad? At least they'll have some of the vocabulary and understand that it's not taboo because they've heard these words before. Yeah, or does too much information mean that they won't be able to sort through it and find the stuff that actually benefits them? And the fact that most sex ed gets done by PE teachers you know a lot of the times it's some awkward male I had my awkward like Canadian PE teacher who went so red when he said the word vagina which made me go red when I said the word vagina even though I have one so I shouldn't be going red saying the word vagina just little things like that and you're in a classroom with all these boys and I remember feeling really good talking about sex to my parents and at home I would never in a million years talk to my father about it and it's still awkward, not for me, but for my mum to talk about it with me. She's still, you know, ooh, ooh, you know, that little ooh. My mother is a midwife. I grew up with breast is best as one of our family slogans. She's a breastfeeding advocate. I'm pretty sure I knew what breastfeeding was before I knew I was going to get my period or that I was going to get body hair. I think having that medical lens to it made it really simple to talk to her about it because she kept it really emotional and open while also giving me like the actual facts. I have to shout out to her. If you have had an interesting experience with the sex talk yourself, we'd love to hear about it. So you can email us at badbehaviorpodcast at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear how your sexual education has impacted you, what you didn't learn, how you learn about it. And also, if this is coming up for you and you're not sure how to educate people, I'm going to make sure that there's a heap of links in our show notes online to make sure that you can go and have a look through and learn a bit more about how to talk about this stuff because... I need to (laughs) come on a journey with me. Today we're talking to Sam Jones from smutbuttons.com. Smutbuttons is a sex education website that looks into the different issues surrounding sexual identity, sex toys, and the intersection of mental health and sex. Sam Jones has worked across the sex industry in brothels, strip clubs, porn studios, and sex toy stores. She's worked with magazines, political parties, and lobby groups, and most recently, OMG Yes. We'd love to talk to her more about sex ed and sex literacy. Let's get into it. We are starting to see better conversations around what sex education should include. Never really happened in the past. So a lot of the debate and conversation around sex education in schools, for example, is now starting to go, well, we should cover consent and we should cover respectful relationships, sexual diversity and gender diversity. Thinking about when I was at school, which was at least two decades ago, it's sort of like that was never part of the conversation it was you know you were lucky if you got to put a condom on a banana if you got anything acknowledging different sexual orientations it was probably because the teacher stuffed up seeing just the idea that sex is more than just a man's penis in a woman's vagina is just an exceptional development but I think the biggest thing is there's a fundamental lack of education on just the functionality. I will talk to people in the 30s kind of age bracket and I'll be like, yeah, so what kind of lube do you use? And they'll be like, um, lube. I haven't gone through menopause yet. I'm like, 
that's not what lube is for. (laughs) Lube is for all. And so, you know, just really basic mechanical stuff. You know, the fact that most vulva owners aren't aware that 86% of us can't orgasm without clitoral stimulation. So you have all of these people who are in relationships and they're like, maybe I'm anorgasmic, maybe I just can't come, maybe it's me and I'm broken, or they just don't enjoy sex. And it's because no one's ever actually taught them what pleasure is, which is why like some of my favorite developments of the last sort of 10 years or so have been the way that people have leveraged technology and the internet to help with that. So there's obviously OMG Yes, but there's also Happy Playtime, which is this wonderful web-based app that lets you play with a vulva. And it's like a little um, Maratrushka doll. So she's sort of got like little frills where the labia are. Her head is the clitoris. You use your mouse as a hand and it like guides you to like show you how to use a vulva, essentially. There needs to be a lot more discussion about the mechanics, about safety, not in terms of STIs, but basic things around toy use. Like people who don't realise that you have to wash toys between use. People who don't realise that if you use a toy with more than one partner, you need to put a condom on it. Otherwise, it's essentially the same as not using protection. Things like butt plugs not having flared bases. So many trips to the emergency room from people whose butt plugs, well, what they're using as a butt plug, just disappears up inside them. one of those people who I have to research things voraciously and understand everything about it and then I'll never use it. I remember I was a 14, 15. I've heard about anal sex and then I was like, oh my goodness, that's something people do. That's something people do to women. Women weren't doing it. People did it to women. Still had a lot to learn. And so I went and read up on it. I looked into it. I realized that lots of women enjoy it and that there was a whole way of doing things. You needed lubricant. You needed communication you needed a lot of stuff and I was so excited but I didn't want to do it then I'd never had sex I had all of this information about a specific sex act that I didn't plan to use sat my sister down and I was like hey just wanted to let you know that I've got a lot of knowledge I want to impart so just sit yourself down let's talk about anal sex and my sister went oh my god have you done that and I'm going no I wanted you to have this knowledge as well the point is I don't have that same sense of like shamelessness about sex knowledge now that I think I did at 14 when it was completely hypothetical. Now it's like if I talk about it, people are going to assume I do it. Is that okay? I need to think about it, which is really weird. As an adult, I'm more ashamed to say I don't know something about sex than I was back when I wasn't having it because now it's kind of assumed you know what you're doing. This is something that I've really had to self correct over the years because number one, Being okay with talking about sex is the first frontier, right? You've got to have friends that you can talk about this kind of stuff with. And then also the understanding that you really think everyone around you is having so much more sex than you and they're having all this amazing sex. But in reality, no one knows what they're doing and it's a lot of the sex that they're having is really bad and everyone's too afraid to ask to make it better or to say that it's bad in the first place. And I think that was one epiphany moment in my sexually active (laughs) journey. (laughs) I'm thinking now about a few instances where I wish I had said something or done something to let people know that we could have talked about it. You know, sexual partners, especially when it's casual, it's hard to be like, hey, I know this is cash and we just sort of turned up here and we're just going to do this and leave and never speak again. But I wanted to have a chat about what you like. 
that's not something you do. You just get down to it, assume that you all instinctively know what you should do to each other and never mention it. That's crazy. That's insane. It is insane. But those kind of conversations are so awkward. You're not taught how to navigate those things and you're taught, especially as a woman, you are sort of taught that things will happen and you just go along with it. I mean, not taught, not explicitly taught, but as the receptive person, you're like, all right, do what you got to do to me. I'm, I'm here. I'm accounted for, but I'm not, you know, running the show. The point is adults feel ashamed of the things they don't know. They don't talk about the things they don't know. And then they don't go and learn about the things they don't know. And that's the problem. I have an idea. Okay. Listeners. This is a challenge for you. Nicola and I will do this, I promise. If you have a significant other or a really close friend who you're comfortable talking about stuff with, I am daring you to go and have a specific conversation about what you don't know or need to learn about sex. We're going to do it. I'll let you know how it goes on social media. I don't know, but it's going to be great. Nicola, get ready. Strap yourself in. (laughs) Is that what we're going to talk about? (laughs) Strap-ons. Want to hear more from the Bad Behaviour team? Follow us on Twitter at Bad Behaviour Cast. There's been a lot of studies that have shown that anyone who doesn't identify as straight is, or cis and straight, is left out of sex education. The impact is huge on the queer community. So higher rates of STIs, higher rates of unplanned pregnancy, higher rates of violence in relationships. So without naming names, there's an event in Melbourne that is targeted at vulva owners only. Great, because there's not many sex on-premises style events for people like that. But because of the lack of education, and the lack of awareness and resources. A lot of the time at this event, people are complaining about experiencing assault, experiencing, without getting too graphic, long fingernails in vaginas leading to cuts, infections, bacterial vaginosis, like all of these things, because it's essentially pitched at a market that is by curious. So people who haven't necessarily acted on their feelings before. And so you have like a collection of people who are drinking heavily and who, don't really have any understanding of the space that they're in and so you have people not checking for consent because hey we're all girls here it's not like we can rape each other kind of thing you have women taking advantage of other people who are drunk or passed out obviously I'm talking very broad strokes here but a lot of the time what you see is just these issues that it's like this all comes from a lack of education and a lack of understanding I could probably list on one hand the number of people that use dental dams in same-sex vagina to vagina hookups what people don't really realize is like how many STIs you can catch orally and the fact that at the moment we are having a massive crisis of syphilis treatment resistant gonorrhea and chlamydia are all through the roof like the World Health Organization has declared it an emergency New Zealand has enacted like a national strategy for it and yet people are just like oh why would I use a dam it's just gonna like cut down on sensation yes but if you knew the right way to use it it doesn't have to it can be really pleasurable to increase sensation you put a certain amount of lube on <laughs> the inside or the underside of the dam so inside the condom or underside them when you apply pressure the person who's receiving it feels not just pressure but moisture and so it more or less recreates the experience of it being 
like without protection and you know likewise with a condom a lot of people complain that like oh there's no sensation and there's no this and there's no that and it's like okay well have you checked the signs you'll see these PSAs where someone has their like hand and they're like if you're ever with a guy heteronormative and he says that he can't fit into the condom show him this and they like roll the condom down their entire forearm okay yes technically it can do that but you tell me how long you want to leave that on your arm for before you're worried about it dropping off because you're cutting off circulation yeah, yeah. the problem is in the meantime by using a smaller size they're increasing the risk of breakage they're increasing the friction they're like increasing the risk of pregnancy STIs etc and they're not enjoying themselves so they're not going to be like enticed to put one on or to like initiate protection or safe sex all of that plays into just basic education yeah you're completely right I haven't even thought about just basic mechanics enough I think the fact that the clitoris was like discovered yeah 20 years ago well yeah it's quite interesting so historically it was part of recognized anatomy for a thousand years or more because they thought that air quotes female orgasms were necessary for procreation like you couldn't get someone pregnant if they didn't orgasm and so for ages it was like oh yes the clitoris an unwanted but necessary thing for (laughs) procreation they realized don't quote me on this but i think it was around the victorian era where they were like oh i don't think yeah i don't think we need it Yeah, cool. Carry on, lads. Uh, Have fun. As long as you're inside the uh, vagina, should be fine. It was only in the 90s, early 2000s that we got a complete mapping of the clitoris. And that was what, like, kind of shook the community. It is this day and age, and yet we haven't had a complete mapping of it. Even now, the debate around whether or not the G-spot exists is essentially what a lot of people don't understand is that it might be part of the clitoris. So when people say, oh, there might not be a G-spot, they're not saying there's nothing there. They're saying, oh, but if it's connected to the clitoral tissue, then it is part of the clitoris and not a separate piece of anatomy, essentially. But the fact that that's not communicated very well means you have a whole lot of people going, I can't make you come baby there's no g-spot haven't you heard where do you think people are getting most of their information from i wish i could say it was my website i think the internet has been beneficial but also really detrimental i think the majority of people who have access to the internet will go online what is worrying is that with only limited technical literacy you can do a lot more damage than good type in my girlfriend's vagina is loose is she cheating? And the majority of the results are going to say, yeah, she's blank, blank, blank. And it's only if you type it in, for example, as what does a loose vagina mean? Or should a vagina be loose? Or something in a slightly different way that you get the accurate health response, which is that the vagina, when aroused, will loosen. So you have all these guys who are finally managing to turn their partner on in the bedroom and they're worried that she's cheating and the internet's going, yeah, fam, that's the case. Because there's no one body responsible for the information on the interwebs, no one's going to take responsibility. So you kind of like to fix it, you essentially have to change like the Google algorithm and it's not like they're going to take responsibility. How do you think a sex education teacher versus a sex worker would approach the sex talk? I will take a moment here to absolutely spruik the hell out of someone's book. There's an author, Eva Sless, who's written an incredible book called A Teen Girl's Guide to Getting Off. And as a former sex worker, she has written a sex education guide for young women. And it is brilliant, like absolutely brilliant. And she is an educator now who advocates for discussions around porn, discussions around safe sex, 
around pleasure, around consent, etc. The biggest issue with sex education versus sex work is, if we're talking about in classrooms and stuff like that, is predominantly done by the teacher who wants to do it the least. There's some really fascinating broad studies that have been done specifically in Australia to find out who's teaching sex ed. And we have a state-by-state based model so there's no federal agenda on what gets taught in schools problem number two is there's no official qualification for teaching sex education because there's no official standard so you can't say oh you need to have you know a dip ed and a bachelor in biology or something like there's no qualification which is why it's often outsourced and often to amazing organizations who are genuinely passionate about it but occasionally to religious groups or people who have their own agenda and so end up with a teacher that is at best disengaged at worst actively does not want to be there does not want to be discussing what they're discussing there's no set curriculum for it so it depends on the resources that they've been given as to what they're actually teaching. Most of the time there's no preparation for the teacher so it's not like they get a chance to unpack the material, learn it themselves and then apply their own kind of understanding to it to help students learn. It's very much by rote. If it is a teacher who isn't engaged, they're not going to be doing like the safe schools curriculum or anything that's like diverse or inclusive. They're also not going to encourage questions and they're not going to want to do anything that might essentially could threaten their job. So if they have questions about sexting or about porn or about anything like that, they're just going to shut down. By contrast, a lot of adult sex educators are people like myself or like Eva Sless or Dr. Linda Kirkman, who's an amazing sex educator, people who genuinely are passionate, who are not necessarily educated in the qualified sense because there still isn't really a standard for that, but who are passionate, engaged and have worked in some form of sex industry or have like academic qualifications and actively want to teach people. So the difference is less between what a sex worker would teach and what government mandated PE teacher will teach you versus someone who's chosen this. But what a lot of sex workers, porn stars, etc. are advocating for is porn literacy, sexting literacy. A lot of sex ed in schools, basically because no one wants to rock the boat, is going, no, don't talk about this. There are precious little angels. The thing is not talking about stuff has never actually led to better outcomes in the history of ever not giving them information on basic things like if you are under the age of 18 and you send a sexy photo of yourself to your partner that's child porn or you know if you send a picture of yourself naked to someone they have that file forever They can do things with it and you need to be prepared for those things. Or here's how to protect yourself. Looking at porn as just, you know, hey, you know how you like action movies, but you also understand Bruce Willis didn't literally jump off a building. Look at porn the same way. Yes, those are people who are, for all intents and purposes, having sex, but that's not an accurate depiction of what sex looks like. I think in an ideal world... I would have a federally mandated sex education curriculum. I would have it enforced in government, like state and private schools. I would have a formal qualification for people to teach sex education and it had to be taught by someone with that qualification so that people like myself who are passionate about it and who want to teach it can go get the formal qualification and then seek employment in that field directly as opposed to it just kind of being farmed out to whoever. When I was looking into this to start off with, it seemed like the impetus was being put on parents to do it. Don't know how to do it, are uncomfortable doing yeah. it, this is their children, they don't yeah. think about it that way. And also we call it the sex talk like it's one time. Yep. Rather than an ongoing journey for children to learn different things and also yeah. something that permeates your whole life. 
when we're raised, we think that the way that we are raised is normal. We think that our experience is standard. And it's why a lot of kids who experience trauma or abuse as children, it takes years to realise it because they're like, oh, what do you mean your mum didn't like break a wooden spoon over your head every time you came home late? That's, that's just normal parenting, right? So what happens is when you leave sex education up to parents, their standard is whatever they were raised with. For instance, my mum tried to improve on what she had and she sat me down and she brought out the Funken Wagnalls anatomy book, which for anyone not in the know was before the internet and before Encarta and was just a large book of anatomy and she pointed to the different parts and was like so when people have sex this is what happens and then this happens and then babies and she was like and when you're older you will have a period you will menstruate and she was like and the lining comes out here and rah rah rah. What I didn't know at the time was that when she'd got her period my grandmother had basically just freaked out refused to talk about it and said go talk to your cousin who was a nurse and my mum was like Oh, and wrote her a letter and was just like waiting to hear back. And so for my mum, that was a huge improvement. But for me, I'm like, I have so many questions. And to the point where I would come home from school and I'd be like, mum, what's a blowjob? She'd be like, why? I'm like, well, Sarah says that I want to give one to Benjamin, but I don't know if I do or not. So what is it? And she's like, you don't. That's all you need to know. And I'm like, I have so many questions. I want to talk a bit about smart buttons. About six years ago, I had left the brothel industry and I had just finished working at managing the sex toy store. I was like, man, I have all this information that I want to give to people because I've spent, you know, the better part of a decade explaining it to people, often without their consent, often for hours longer than they anticipated. I'm like, I wish I could, you know, write a book or, you know, just have a repository for all of this information. Also, all of the ridiculous stories that I have from working in the sex industry, just silly, funny stories like the guy who ordered poo sandwiches. You can read that story on Smart Buttons. I won't bore you with it now. Essentially, I was like, okay, well, I want a place to put all of this knowledge. And I also want a place where I can explore different things that are coming up in the news. So, you know, if there's something that I want to discuss about, like, for example, sex work legislation change, there's a forum for me to do it. It basically exists as a place for me to write down stories from working in the sex industry to create guides. So here's everything you need to know about lube. Here's every you need to know about trying anal sex for the first time. Here's everything you need to know about consent. Because I have struggled with mental health issues, I really enjoy looking at the intersection between ethical non-monogamy and mental health issues because it's something that, interestingly, there is a large overlap with where a lot of people in non-monogamous relationships also experience mental health issues. Not because you have to be crazy to have an open relationship, but just the statistics kind of shake out that way. Yeah, it's just been a really therapeutic place for me to talk about issues that I'm really passionate about and things that I think need more awareness. Most of the time I don't get people reading the guides, but I get a lot of feedback on particularly the articles about mental health. So I've got one on polyamory and depression, one on open relationships and anxiety, and you know, one on borderline personality disorder, one on what it's like to go into a psych ward. And those are the ones that I get really incredible feedback from people just going, I feel like you have opened up my brain and just poured the contents out. It's interesting because working in any form of sex education, because it's quite a niche area, it is very competitive and it's very easy to fall into the trap of going, why am I doing this? There's someone doing it better. There's someone who's been doing it longer. There's someone who has better education, better information. And on the days where I feel like, no, I'm not bringing anything new to this. I'm not doing anything worthwhile. I will sit and I will read those. And I'm like, yep, yeah, that's why I'm doing it because 
what I'm bringing to it is my own personal experience and my own baggage around mental health and going, here's what it's like to masturbate while also crying. Mm -hmm. Um, We call it master weeping. And so the feedback has been really, really unexpected and really heartwarming. If you could tell us a bit about OMGS, what it is and what you did for it. So I recently returned from the US <laughs> yeah. where I was working with an organization called OMG Yes and they are a fantastic business who work with the Kinsey Institute on sexual research and they provide video and web content around vulval and vaginal pleasure. So they started a few years ago and they've got one season that's completely online and they're building the second season now and the third season's in production. And so essentially you pay for access to each season. There's a lot of people who think it's like a subscription, like Netflix or something, but it's not. You pay once and then that money goes to fund the next season. And when that comes out, you pay once to access that and you've got access for life. Masturbation is such an interesting topic when it comes to women. I almost feel a little bit weird talking about it and sharing my own personal experience because it's quite taboo, isn't it? You feel quite strange and it's not an average conversation to have with people, even though it should be. And I think the moment that that really all changed for me was when I started learning about sex toys. That's like an easy in for talking about masturbation with your friends if you just ask around and you're like hey pals who has a dildo which one do you use <laughs> can you recommend one people are so keen to share how much all these amazing sex toys have changed their life that would be my advice to people who have similar feelings to me about feeling super uncomfortable and weird about talking about <laughs> wanking off <laughs> flicking the bean whatever other euphemism you want to term it I'd say that's like a cute little in wouldn't you agree I do agree because I can talk to people about sex in the sense that I'll say I've had it I am sex positive I am advocate and ally to sex workers but I can't talk about specifics and I can't talk about masturbation without getting really flustered flushed and confused after you have sex, right, you go to your friends and you debrief and you're like, this is what happened. It was good. It was bad. After you masturbate, you never go to your friends and you're like, hey, this is what happened. Hand went a little to the left, little to the right. It was great. That's just not a conversation I have very often. And who knows? Maybe we're just two prudes who are trying to pretend <laughs> that we are sex positive, which I do not think that's true. It is interesting to me how the things that still remain taboo, and I wonder if this sentiment is shared with a lot of other people. And you know what? I think it is because something like, oh my God, yes, exists. And that shows how little people, particularly women, know about masturbation and need some guidance because, you know, Teach a man a fish, he will fish for life. Give a man a fish, he will cook the fish and eat it and the rest of the village will die. That's the same as masturbation. Teach a woman to fish and she will fish for gold. <laughs> this is a very confusing metaphor, but I like the sentiment, I think. OMG Yes started developing their research for season three, which was about sex toys and vaginal pleasure. Part of their research is that they put together a list of questions and they ask everyone for their experience 
on those things. And essentially it was a list of sex toys, everything from anal beads, butt plugs, body wands, bullet vibrators, just a whole list. It was like a shopping list. And they were like, you know, please provide feedback on the ones that you've used and what your experience is. As someone who has reviewed a lot of toys, I looked at it and went, oh, this is going to take hours. Uh, and I think it ended up being like 10 pages and I sent it back to them they were like we love you you're great can you come to America we'll pay for your flights we'll pay for your accommodation and we will spend 12 hours filming you including a demonstration and I was like yeah that sounds amazing I'm so on board and then hung up and went oh but I'm fat fat people can't do that and spent the next three months wrestling with it just kind of being like I can't fat girl Fat girls don't do this kind of thing. Like no one wants to see that. It was just like this complete disconnect in my brain. And then I kind of like reverse psychology myself, I think, where I was like, okay, so your whole thing is about representation. There's not enough sex positive, sexually active big women in media. Whenever you see Rebel Wilson or Melissa McCarthy often playing sexually aggressive characters because it's funny, because they're not attractive. Whereas if you took their characters and put like Anne Hathaway in the same role, it wouldn't be funny because everyone wants to have sex with them. One of the only characters that I've ever found that is exactly what I want to see more of is a character called Pam Poovey from Archer, which is an animated TV show. And she is literally like size 20 woman. And it has this great line where she's like, I'm a full figured woman who enjoys sex and sexual satisfaction, but no one will fuck me. And I'm just like, yes. Yes, that me. Yes, it me. And so I thought about it and I was like, okay, so if my issue is that there's not enough representation, I can't really get away with not representing exactly my kind of person. That's how I kind of bullied myself into doing it. And I was like, you're doing this because there are other women who have bodies like yours and you need to get up there and you need to be brave and you need to put a dildo inside you on camera and be like, it's great. My vagina and I are very happy. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, once I got past that hurdle, I was like, yep, cool. I'm on board. This is great. You know, went over there and they were absolutely incredible. Like just the kindest, beautiful people. And so the first half of the day from 5 a.m. to about one was the interview, which they walked through pretty much every answer I'd given on that survey. And then they were like, okay, cool. So now we're going to move on to the demonstration part. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. And in my head, I'm like, cool. So I'm going to like lie where they want me to. They'll shoot me masturbating. And then later they'll put my dialogue over the footage. No, what I needed to do that I had somehow not quite realized is masturbate while maintaining eye contact with the interviewer and talk through what I'm doing. Yeah. Once I realized that I needed to basically lock eyes with the interviewer and be like, and now I'm feeling it in my clitoris. I was like, I, I can't orgasm guys. And they were like, no, that's okay. Like you, you're not under any pressure to. And I'm like, no, I'm really nervous about it because I don't want to accidentally orgasm because it kind of feels like shitting yourself at a job interview. Like this is such a professional thing all of a sudden that I don't feel comfortable just having the yeah exactly i'd seen some of the site and I'd, I'd watch these beautiful petite young women have their little ah kind of orgasm and i was like i don't come like that i sound kind of like a wookie like there's <laughs> nothing really elegant or demure about it and added to the fact that i was propped up on this bed with my vag facing out towards a crew of 12 people all of whom were there watching and i'm like sometimes i squirt I don't want a splash zone of strangers. How do you freaking get around 
love that. And like, you know, this was not at all any omission on their part. Like the instructions, they'd sent me the instructions via email. It was more just, I'd filled in the gaps with what my experience had been on yeah, similar things yeah. and sort of gone, oh yeah, they'll do it this way because that's what I expect. And then got there and went, oh, I have oh misread this. I've done some crazy stuff in my life. It is without a doubt the hardest thing and the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And I think I can safely say will ever do. Having a room of, yeah, like between eight and 12 strangers, having massive body image issues and having to gently lift up your dress and have the world see your vagina, just be intimately aware of every issue you've ever had with it and every feeling you've ever had about it. And then talk about how you like to pleasure yourself as though you think you deserve that you're allowed to have pleasure. Describe in intimate detail the feelings that you're having while you're pleasuring yourself, while simultaneously not letting yourself orgasm. I bought, I think season one, for a friend of mine for her birthday present. She's very sex positive and was super excited to get it. But it was really interesting because despite the fact that she's one of my friends that I have very open conversations about as soon as she had it it was sort of like the secret club she couldn't talk about wow she can talk about sex but masturbation is off limits yeah like this is what I do alone and it's a bit weird to talk about it and like it was really interesting to see how that line was immediately yeah it is really interesting and this was something that I only realized sort of through I guess like trying to work my way up to being able to go over there like giving ourselves pleasure it's more so for women or femme identifying people it's that thing of like trying to justify that you deserve it if it's sex it can be for someone else's benefit like oh I you know pleasured that person or I did this for them or like you know we had a great time but when it's masturbation it's that thing of like I did this for no reason except to feel good goes back to what you were saying too if you've not seen people like you have pleasure experience pleasure then it's even more difficult to think that you are allowed to yeah and that's where the whole shame component comes in. Yup. Shame and masturbation, they're best friends. Oh, they yeah. So we have a final question, which we always end up on, and I warned you about. <laughs> Some people find it weird. But we wanted to ask, how have you been bad? I have been putting together a class and workshop on how people can be in relationships that aren't monogamous, and I'm very excited about. Through Laneway Learning in Melbourne. I love Laneway Learning. They're the best. Well, congrats on that. And thank thank you you so much for talking to us. It's a hundred percent my pleasure. It absolutely was. Thanks for being so open. So it's been really interesting talking to Sam about these topics and there's definitely a lot more that we could go into about sex ed and sex literacy and a lot of scope for more episodes to come. But I had a final question for you, Nicola. I wanted to know, after all of this discussion, what is one thing that that you would have loved to have learnt in your sex ed classes that you will make sure to definitely teach your children if you have children? So I think for me, just... The understanding that sex can exist in so many different forms and so many different gender identities is really lovely and wonderful. And without that fundamental understanding that there is a difference between sex and gender, I feel like it took me years to catch up, honestly, and a lot of unlearning. In sex ed seems to assume everyone's straight. Also, 
assume that the reason you're having sex is for reproduction. My sex ed was all about reproduction. So we didn't learn about any of the other things. So I guess that's what kind of ties into my answer to this question is that for me, it's the idea of consent. I wish I had a more explicit understanding about what consent meant. I wish I knew that I could raise those queries with someone and if I did feel uncomfortable raising the idea of consent with someone, maybe that was something that could be a red flag. You know, maybe I'm not super safe with that person if that's not a discussion I can have. I needed to know these things. I feel like I have had and so many of my friends have had situations where consent came up in ways that I didn't understand were consent issues and I didn't know how to navigate it. I would love to do an episode on consent, actually. I feel like there's a lot there and a lot to talk about, but that's definitely something that jumps out at me that I wish I had I had, had the opportunity to talk about at a younger age. When you have that baseline of knowledge and you're just able to be a bit more assertive and know that there are facts to consent and that consent can't happen if someone is intoxicated or under the influence of drugs or it can't happen if you're below a certain age. Those basics would have been so helpful and I think there should not be sex education without a big discussion about consent because that's the only way that we're going to change the horrendous rape culture that sees so many women fall privy to such horrible violence at the hands of men. It's not just the basics too, it's the functionality of consent. It's how do you check in with people? How do you actually do that? You know, teaching young boys, if you ask, is this good? Is this okay? Throughout your experience, that's checking in for consent. If you make sure each step of the way, that's not just consent. That's also a way to communicate and to share this experience with someone. It doesn't have to be awkward. Little tips like that would have been insanely useful as a teenager. It's what we've touched on quite a bit. If you teach people how to have these really awkward and icky conversations, sex is going to be so much better it's going to be so much more pleasurable people are going to have really positive relationships with sex and all in all it just leads to a better culture and people being safer it's been so wonderful to talk to sam because she's so candid and open about all this stuff it makes me want to speak about these things in the same type of way which is incredible and we hope that you guys enjoyed the conversation with her as much as we did and this first episode back thank you so much for joining us again on this incredible journey we can't wait to get back into giving you more episodes we will talk to you very soon in just two short weeks Loving Bad Behaviour? Join our Patreon page. You'll get access to bonus episodes, juicy behind-the-scenes content, live Q&As, and much more. We'll see you there.